I'm Adriana. And I'm Wasir. And you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. We've got an interview with Ryan Cosbert coming up in a few minutes. Her show, I Am What I Am, opened at Undercurrent on March 12th and runs through April 18th. Additionally, Undercurrent's Unmute project continues to unfold at unmute.nyc. Masir, what do you know about this project? I know far too much about this project, and you know even more. But for our listeners, I can say that it is a uh, 10 separate collaborations between ten, uh, 20 artists where one art that split into groups of two, where one artist is from the U.S., from New York City, actually, and the other artist is from one of 10 European Union countries. And then... Uh, additionally, the artists are quote-unquote generationally split, where one will be born uh, in 1985 or before, and the other will be born after 1985. And uh, since the Lunar New Year, they've been uh, getting to know each other and recording their conversations, aiming towards some kind of artistic output, creative output, that will be revealed on Europe Day in May. Yeah, you guys, this is a really really fascinating project because all of us, um, and I think especially artists, this pandemic has been kind of difficult in terms of sharing work, sharing ideas, having conversations around um, each other's practices because, you know, the screen flattens everything out so much. So Unmute is kind of really working within this really fertile area of like uh, trans-Atlantic communication through the medium of the computer and how can, or Zoom um, more so, and how can we create connection when we're so far apart? You know, from the get-go, that's, a, that's a, a real challenge for a lot of us to kind of create those connections artistically and just in terms of friendship. So I think it's gonna be a really interesting process and I'm excited to see the projects they all come up with. Right, so you can follow along at unmute.nyc. There are new videos going up something like every single day from the, again, there are 10 different teams, so there's a lot of opportunities for new content to appear. And uh, and yeah, they're something like six weeks in already, so I do encourage you to check out unmute.nyc. So now let's listen to our conversation with Ryan. Okay, thank you for agreeing to talk to us about your show, Ryan, I Am What I Am. Could you please begin by describing the pieces in the show for the audience? When I started with this body of work, I originally started with creating uh, Murder Mayhem number three. I started making the pieces roughly, let's see, like September, September, October, 2020. And that was the first painting that I made. Uh, So Murder Mayhem number three, the, so Murder Mayhem number one, two, and three is actually a triptych and they kind of they derive from this series I've been working on called the mayhem series so now I decided to make uh, three paintings all in one but so for murder mayhem number one two and three uh, number one is red number two is white and number three is blue Uh, each one represents uh, the police sirens and each color has its own meaning, like the red light signify uh, emergency, blue signifies police presence, and the white light signifies uh, like illuminating dark areas, like with a flashlight. I think this piece for me, I think it would have to be the strongest piece in my opinion. And it's the one that I spent the most time working on. There was another piece that I did before, but this is the painting 
that I, this is one of the paintings that I knew I wanted to be a part of this exhibition. Uh, the piece, Currency of the Ocean, would have to be the one that was finished first. But that was like when I decided like, oh, I think it would be great to go with, uh, go with this body of work. Currency of the Ocean talks about uh, the use of uh, quarry shells in West Africa. It was originally used as currency. And then later after uh, the French invaded, they were no longer able to use the quarry shells as currency. They started using uh, bills. And so after they were no longer able to use the quarry shells as currency, they started using it as like a decorative, decorative material, like on drums and clothing. And they also used it in a lot of their ritual practices. And then uh, another way that they used it was they used it as kind of like dice, like for games. So when the opening of the quarry shell would land, that would count as one. But if it's if the back was showing, it wouldn't count. But the way that I organized the quarry shells on the on the canvas was in the middle. I I arranged them in a decorative format, and then in each tile. So what I call tiles are uh, every other section. So I I use a grid format for for these paintings. So in each er, and every other section would be what I call tiles. It's just a mixture I make that's similar to a modeling piece. So in each tile, I would apply the, uh, I would apply the quarry shells as if I was rolling dice. I would just kind of throw them so that they would land however. And in the, in the middle is how I arranged, how I arranged them in a uh, like more decorative. So there's there's uh, shells throughout the the four panels that are not jumping out like they're 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 a little bit more subdued and then there's a row of shells across the middle that haven't been randomly distributed is that, distributed is that right? Yes, and there are actually uh, okay. two panels. It's a it's a diptych. And then and what takes the place of the shells in the murder mayhem? Uh, murder series? mayhem is uh, for the bullet. Uh, the bullet, oh, I didn't talk about that. The bullet casings, more so talking about uh, gun violence and police brutality. So different kinds of shells, these are uh, bullet casings. Yeah, they, they don't have any uh, gunpowder. They're all empty, empty casings. So I just want to say how interesting it is to me to kind of see the grid come up in your work like this, um, whether it be, because I feel like Murder Mayhem feels a little bit more geometric where this other piece you just showed, the modeling paste kind of reveals the fragility of kind of the grid format. It's like not perfect squares every time. Um, and I was thinking a lot about when I was looking at your work, kind of the idea of a grid being this like very, um, not cold, but it's, it's, a, it's a very direct kind of way of measuring things. Uh, it's geometric. There's not a lot of room for abstract or amorphous shapes maybe, but then the bullet casings kind of being thrown arbitrarily maybe or randomly kind of this interesting interplay between um, the randomness of the throwing of the cowrie uh, shells, cowrie, yeah. and the bullet casings and this idea of the grid that is actually very like kind of stagnant in a way. So I, I was wondering how you kind of reconcile those two things or think about those if you do. You mean like, um with the way that I arrange the tiles along with the, the materials that are connected with them? Yeah, I just like the bullet casings feels like they're kind of more randomly distributed and 
within the grid like format so I was wondering how that came about like conceptually or materially uh, so it's pretty much uh, the process I did for the currency of the ocean is like the same process that I've been doing with a uh, mayhem series so most of the paintings for the mayhem series except for the first one I ever did all have bullet casings so I randomly apply them into the uh, tiles so for each painting I custom the mixture that I make so for the uh, the paintings that have material that uh that have materials that I really want to stick and like I don't want them to break off the mixture is much is thicker and heavier so it's able to adhere like when I toss it it won't move and then when it dries it'll harden some of like for the uh mayhem series I didn't want the tiles to be like extremely perfect so I made sure that I made the mixture a little bit more runnier so it can kind of create its own form but also still maintain the orientation of a grid. In Currency of the Ocean, the the idea is that the shells are falling randomly to sort of move along something like a game or, you know, something that's kind of fun or, or relies on chance, but not necessarily with oppressive overtone or something along those lines. Whereas in the Murder Mayhem series, what you're describing after a fashion sounds like what's called quadrat analysis, which is where you uh, draw a box and uh, well, in, in uh, ecology, you draw a box and you measure everything inside that box and you let that box sort of stand in for like the salt marsh as a whole or whatever. But another thing that's done is uh, it's, it's a way of doing aerial analysis where you, you have a space under surveillance that you split up into a grid and then you count up how many whatevers there are in each grid to figure out uh, often with stuff like crime statistics to figure out like where where are high crime areas, et cetera, because the quote unquote benefit of doing geographic analysis like this is that it doesn't use um, boundaries that are enforced by uh, nature. So it's like rivers don't make boundaries in this case because it's just a square that you apply after the fact, nor is does it use boundaries used by people so like like if you're doing analysis on on where there have been a lot of incidents of whatever crime or anything if if they're at the edge of the city and they bleed over into the other city into the neighboring city you don't see them because you're using the human-made boundaries to sort of set set a set an end up there and so what what strikes me is this idea of the of the bullet cases that it it it, it implies this kind of state surveillance you know, that there's a, uh, a way in which while the cowrie shells are random in the sense of uh, fueled by people's sense of enjoyment, it's very much not the case that the shootings can, or sorry, not the shootings, but the casings can be understood as distributed randomly. That would be a misreading of the role of the state in very much directing where it decides to do its violence. Like the state is not random with its violence. It is very purposive with its violence it does exactly what it wants to do and things like geostatistical analysis like this would indicate where police violence is more likely to occur and so i think so i wonder if there's how you think about this kind of relationship between randomness and these sort of patterns that emerge uh or the patterns that you see the patterns that you experience the patterns that emerge and how they come into con conflict with this with this hope or fantasy of everything is just random and there's not a lot of control to what you can do in, in your in one's life I think I don't know for me that that's pretty funny because with most of my paintings I try to maintain as much control as I possibly can so with almost 
like when I first started uh, abstract painting, my main thing and the reason why I made the grid was so that I can have control over something because I know I wouldn't entirely be able to have control over the paint. So I'm like very, every placement of like physical material other than paint is really, is like premeditated. I make sure like I'll even draw it out in my sketchbook and be like, oh, I want this to go here. Other than when I like randomly apply it, even that I feel is still in my control because I know that I wanted it to be applied randomly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a roll of the dice can't be considered completely random because the no one talks about the fact that a choice existed before the dice were rolled to roll the dice. That's a very controlled decision. You don't have to roll the dice. You you can choose not to. So the, the once you roll the dice, then yes, it's open up to random chance. But is that is that kind of what you mean? Yes, I'd say I'd say yeah. They're pretty they're pretty random. But then I also the way that I'm tossing them, it's. It's kind of like where I want it to land. I don't know. Do you do you find it? Would you say it's like, I don't want to use a word as strong as, <clears throat> as strong as liberating, but sort of like exciting to be like this part I don't have to think about. Like I can worry about the composition here, here, here. And then this part will happen as it happens. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely exciting. <laughs> and then for me, I think it's most exciting to see if it's going to land how I how I originally thought it would. I think mm-hmm. just like waiting on chance and see like, well, how is it going to land? Like when I throw it, I'll go and say, oh, okay. Sometimes I won't like it, how it lands, but I'll, I'll leave it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, yes, this is exactly how I wanted it to land in this, in this tile. Is there a sense of like divination that then comes out of that? Like it's uh, it's like, it's meant to be, or do you, you know, like the fates have spoken or do you re-roll or? I'd say it's more like the, it's just meant to be. I wanted to also quickly ask you about the um, pieces Port-au-Prince and Georgetown. Knowing that it's with modeling pace, there's like an element of world making that really stands out to me, especially in these pieces um, where you're kind of creating a hybrid of obviously different cultures that are quite personal to you and kind of the power of mixing these colors, mixing these cultures and creating kind of like maybe um, an uncertain futurity in the uh, clashing or the meshing of these different of these different worlds. I was wondering if you could quickly talk about those pieces and just kind of uh, describe them for the audience and yeah. So uh, Georgetown, uh, that one's an ode to my mother. Uh, Georgetown's the capital of Guyana in South America. Uh, so uh, I pretty much, I made it I didn't make the circular piece, I actually, uh, the wood, but I wanted to pretty much make these like odes to my parents on a circular piece to kind of imitate a globe. Cause mm-hmm. I've done some work before where I talked about like where my parents are from, cause I'm a first generation American. And I wanted to, I didn't want it to exactly like, exactly like a globe, but the textures also uh, resemble not resemble, but kind of represent. Uh, so in the, I guess I'll tell you guys, in the mixture, I add sand because uh, both of my both of my parents are from the Caribbean and they would always tell me about beaches. So I made sure that I implemented sand into my mixture of all my paintings, kind of like an ode to my parents and everyone. But uh, so for Georgetown, the colors uh, red, yellow, and green are the colors of uh, the flag for Guyana. And then Port-au-Prince is the capital of Haiti, where my dad is from. 
in uh, the red and blue are part of the colors of the of the Haitian flag as well. So that's really interesting because like both materially and conceptually you're creating, um, I don't want to say gray areas, but um, but in painting you, you always hear about people kind of creating the muddiness between two dominant colors. So kind of the, the middle ground that might be murky or might be uncertain. So it's really interesting to me thinking about like materially, um, it's, it's kind of like almost like a chemical um, uh, experiment of sorts, kind of cr creating areas of overlap. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really into these pieces. I'm glad that you said that these are that these are related to your parents because they it it uh it moves towards this kind of uh challenge of thinking about uh the like hyper specificity of uh one's work as coming out of what out of their their specific like lived experience or however you want to think about it you know, like you as the artist, you only have these two parents. So their experience, you know, their stories telling you about their beaches, um, their uh, past in Port-au-Prince and in, uh, in Georgetown also sort of uh, like formed you in some way. But also with the form of the globe, it gestures towards a kind of more universalist ambition um, and thinking, thinking past just one's own individual history. Can I ask you to sort of talk about how you see, and this, this goes a little bit with what we were talking about before uh, Adriana came on the call, about this way of how much you see yourself in your work as being a concrete expression of who you are, like I am what I am, and how much you see it as in conversation with part of a larger community, part of a, a larger uh essence of art history like a like a or a narrative of art history um the like african diaspora you know how how do you see these kinds of tensions at play in your work uh, for these two i would say they kind of uh at least together they kind of make up like a full self-portrait because each uh like each piece is kind of like a piece of me like when i was working on the when i was working on each painting i made sure i guess Kind of like my intentions when working on the painting and my thoughts were mainly I was mainly thinking about my parents and I was thinking about like where did they come from like to create me and also while I was working on each piece I was listening to music from from their countries as well so kind of like so I can embody uh where they came from because I've never I've never been to uh, Guyana or Haiti so I was just I was looking at photos as well and then I would call my parents and kind of get uh like more information about like their upbringing and how was it like when they first came to America. So it was, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice opportunity to also like have those conversations with my parents because I don't get to see them or talk to them every day. So when I was working on the pieces, it was really nice to have those conversations with them. And I also found out more about my family in the process. Right. I feel like a lot of kind of part of the immigrant experience or first generation, second generation is kind of learning about homeland from a second source or like a memory or a memory of a memory um, and I think that what how you're constructing this like record or reckoning with these histories that uh, maybe you have to hear from um, 
secondhand sources maybe is is really it's really poignant um yeah so I, I wonder because my other kind of material question was going to be about like the act of, act of excavation in your work because it seems like there's so many layers of paint of modeling uh uh yeah modeling paste so it's, a, it's a mixture that I make, but it's, it's really similar to modeling paste. Gotcha. Sand, you know what I mean? So it's like this kind of like push and pull, this layering and then kind of digging back into it, um, which... That's really funny because uh, yeah. so for the... You were right about the layers. I do... I probably work in like five to ten different layers. The first layer of each painting, I actually... Because I used to do silkscreen, mm. so I try to... Uh, implement my past uh, practices with my current practices. So I was using a squeegee to swipe paint across and then when it would dry, I would do another layer and keep like pushing and pulling the paint until it got into like an area that I really liked it. And I did that before I applied the, uh, the grid and the tiles for both pieces. That's interesting. So kind of when you were working with silkscreen, there's like there's kind of moments in which you can play with the kind of the seriousness of a, a silkscreen. It's very much like w what you want, you can get. It's like a transfer. But this kind of pushing and pulling, creating gray areas, creating murky areas between like the reality of the photo or the drawing or which, whatever it was, I feel I kind of see co continuing in your paintings a little bit, so. I also wanted to then ask about uh, the color choices in, in these two pieces. As you mentioned, they're from uh, the Guyanese and Haitian flags. Can you talk to me about mobilizing the symbol of, the, of the, like the symbology of a state in order to tell a personal story? It, it sets up this, this peculiar conversation, these two pieces with the murder mayhem triptych, because uh, you know, like you said, the, the red, white, and blue of the murder mayhem triptych like evokes the colors of um of like police sirens etc but we also can't ignore the fact that they also evoke the red white and blue of the u.s so like how uh what for you is the relationship of the person with the state is the state a surveilling thing is the state something that gives you a sense of who you are and the sense of your history and your culture um, what is it about the, fl about the colorings of the flags that ties in with the stories your parents tell you on the one hand and the colorings of the flags that also sort of suggest a critique of the, uh, misdeeds of the state in another hand, if I'm not overreading the murder mayhem stuff. I'd say for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for, uh, Georgetown and Port-au-Prince, I think you have the right idea because it's similar to like the murder mayhem piece uh just like based off of like the history my parents were telling me on like the origination of the flag the colors i know i don't remember the exact meaning for the colors of the uh the haitian flag but the colors for uh the flag for guyana uh the the red yellow and green represents like the uh, uh the rastafarian colors uh, like green represents uh, like land in Africa, red represents um, like blood, and the yellow represents, yeah, so yeah, I know each color has its own meaning to it, similar to like the colors of the sirens for uh, murder mayhem, number mm -hmm. one, two, and three. And uh, I think this is 
the last painting that you guys didn't see. Uh, so this piece is called uh, The Only Difference Between You and Me is You Were Brought Here by Force. Uh, so this painting was, um, it derived from a statement that one of my professors had said to me when I was actually explaining, I was explaining uh, one of my paintings called Chronic Soul, which talks about like the origination of the African-American diet, now it derived from slavery. And of course, so all of my work really derives from the research I do on the people in history of African diaspora. And I guess the professor was kind of tired of me talking about it. And she was like, the only difference between you and me is that you were brought here by force. Wow, that's a big fucking clusterfuck of a statement. I'm so sorry. It's okay. So my mentor uh, pushed me to make this painting to kind of, you know, flip the, the narrative. Right. There's such a need for this kind of like decolonization of our institutions and our schools, you know, um, and the mindsets that get like implemented and then thus come into people's work. I mean, it's such a system there. Um, yeah. It's crazy. This is actually a, just like a fun fact. Most of my paintings are really heavy because the, the mixtures are they're pretty dense. This has to be the lightest painting I've ever made. And this is uh, one of the largest ones. Um, I think I did it intentionally because I didn't want, I don't know, I guess for me, if I made the, the textures heavy, I kind of wanted the painting, it, it was of course like a very negative statement, but I kind of wanted to bring light to the situation. So I made it like really light, uh, but it has the same mixture. And then I also uh, added some glass beads in it as well to kind of give it like a, uh, there's a sense of like, like when the light hits, it's kind of like iridescent along with the, I added some uh, iridescent paint to it as well. And and here the the grid seems so it's a blue, uh, blue background grid. It looks like with uh, accents of yellow and I guess pink, uh, more or less over it. But and in in some places it looks like the the pink starts uh, uh, taking up a lot of each individual tile, each in, each individual grid piece. But it never has it never gets to fully take it over. But uh, what strikes me about this piece in comparison to the ones we've been talking about more so is that the yellow sort of seems to come out from the edges and is moving in over the uh, grid structure and sort of trying to dismantle it in some way. So so I wonder if that's kind of going towards Adriana's uh, fantasy about a, a decolonized uh, set of art institutions where the uh, rigid structures of the grid are being pulled at, you know, like down in the bottom uh, right corner, it actually even looks like yellow fingers that are like grabbing at the grid and trying to sort of uh, tear it apart. You know, that's that's one way of reacting to a a tone deaf statement like that by uh, by your professor and like like a hurtful statement. It's just saying like, well, I'll get mine. You know, like I'll I'll show you. You explained it perfectly. So I the way I started the painting off was uh, with the blue to kind of like show a sense of uh, sadness that I felt. So I coated the entire canvas with um, this ultramarine mm -hmm. blue. And then I slowly, and we, I knew I didn't, cause I did a study for the painting. I knew I didn't want the painting to be dark. I kind of wanted it to be 
I want to say it's like a cheery painting, but it's definitely the yellow and the pink help bring light to the help bring light to the painting and the situation. Uh, so mm -hmm. the the base layer is this. It's not like a dark blue, but it's a pretty. It's to me, I think it's a pretty vivid, a very serious blue. And then when I mm -hmm. added the yellow on the corners, it's kind of like allowing you to still see the pain, but bringing light to the situation. And mm -hmm. uh, not all, like most of the tiles, uh, this was kind of inspired by the first, the piece that I, that I was talking to her about when uh, she made the statement to me is Chronic Soul. Uh, so most of my paintings now that I've been working, Chronic Soul was the first abstract painting of this uh, with the with the tiles in the grid format that I made. Uh, so for, chron I, I'll actually show you guys that one. Uh, for Chronic Soul, the tiles, not all of the tiles were completely present, like some of them were distorted. So I tried to give the same sense in uh, the only difference between you and me. So like here, you can see some of the tiles are not present. Oh, they're still present, but they're kind of distorted. So this yeah. is the piece I was talking to the professor about when she made that statement. So when I was working on uh, the only difference between you and me is that you were brought here by force, I had this painting in mind. The yellow almost feels to me kind of like a, a burning of sorts, you know, like a prescribed burning. You know how, especially in forests, they'll kind of level the ground again to start anew. It feels kind of like that kind of anger, but also a triumphant burn of, this, of the grid, of the system, of what is known. One thing that I that I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about the other current thing that Undercurrent has going on, which is the uh, Unmute art project. Do you know anything about this? The one zero 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 two Unmute project. Yes. Can you what What do you know about it? Um, I don't know too much. Uh, I actually have a friend who's in the residency. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see their uh their final product, but I've been. I've been following it on uh, Instagram, like whenever they post uh, like snippets of the videos that the <clears throat> artists have been working on. And I think it's mm -hmm. really, I'm really excited to see how, I think they're supposed to be doing- Emmanuel. Uh, oh yeah, my friend Emmanuel. Yeah. Uh, he's on Team Cloud, I think. I think Team, I don't want to get it wrong. I think team it's Cloud. Team Cloud. Yeah. With Justina. Uh, yeah, I, I got to hear a little bit of the project that they've been working on. I'm really excited, but I think, I think they're supposed to be doing like a joint show, like one in America and one in Europe. And I'm really excited to see how that's going to turn out. And I can't wait to see the, the final, like the final projects that they've been working on. So it's really interesting because they're combining kind of like folklore of witches and kind of witch hunting that connects to um, obviously the women's movement in Poland right now, which is crazy and you know they're the government is quite um, anti-LGBTQ anti-women's rights and so kind of combining that folklore that Justina is bringing in with the witch hunting and then Emmanuel is talking a lot about you know police brutality and violence it's it's going to be a really interesting project I think that kind of combining worlds that um that you know I could see in your work as well kind of these like snippets of um of history coming together yeah it's going to be a beautiful project. I, uh, I got to listen in on uh, one of their meetings where they were uh, working. I know they're adding music to it as well. Oh, they're both amazing. They're, they're really good. Yeah, and the, the show also, to circle back to my persistent theme, is also a, a 
a, or the the project is an indication of what happens when the state puts its mind to it, because the entire project is made possible by financing from the European Union. So, Ryan, thank you so much for talking to us about your show at Undercurrent. Up right now, I am what I am. It's up till April, April 18th, correct? Yes. Yes. And how can, uh, how can people find out more about your work, Ryan? Uh, you can visit my website, uh, ryancospert.com, or you can check me out via Instagram at B-C-O-S-R-Y-A-N. Great, thanks. And we'll put that in the show notes, too. Thank you Everybody guys so much for having me. Everybody goes to the show. Me. It's amazing. Thank you, Ryan, for sharing your practice with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank it was an amazing you. talk. Thank you. So that was our conversation with Ryan Cosbert. Her show, I Am What I Am, opened on March 12th at Undercurrent at 70 John Street in Brooklyn and will remain open until April 18th. Check out undercurrent.nyc for gallery hours to go see the show. Adriana, do you have anything to add? I hope you guys all really enjoy this conversation. We delved into a lot of her pieces. Um, and yeah, everybody good, should go check out the show before it closes. So thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent's social media profiles and to this podcast archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Please leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Undercurrent and 1984 Products, I'm Adriana. And I'm Wasir. Until next time. Ciao.